Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. again and I just want to welcome everyone and uh, it's nice to be in the house of God with everything that is happening around and uh, each passing day there's a lot of uncertainties and God has been so good to us amen amen praise God for that now last time we looked at Nehemiah chapter 4 and as we looked at we looked at the obstacles that the children of God came about when they wanted to fulfill the God-given vision. Now we spoke about the visions, the personal visions that we need to have, and as we studied that, we came across five different obstacles that came about, and we saw that how that was related to us as we pursue our personal visions. So just to refresh your your mind, let me summarize them very, very briefly. The first one we looked at from the passage was the anger of those around them. As you read in the very first verse, the verse says, Sanballat was very angry when he learned that they were, we were rebuilding the wall. He was angry because that word anger is really, the Hebrew word, it means burning mad. He was really livid. He was so angry. Why was he angry? Because he was uh, his secure and independent Jerusalem is a threat to him for his own functions. And in anger, they all came together with all the opponents, and they wanted to stop this project from moving forward. Now, Satan often uses anger of others to try to muffle the newfound joy and the zeal that we have as a child of God. Whatever the God's vision that we want to pursue, the devil will definitely come in the form of anger of others and cause an obstacle in our lives. Because why are others angry with us? Because it threatens their lifestyle when you become a child of God. If it's within your family, yes, people have to now, there must be a change of behavior as a result of you coming to know Christ. That's the first thing we looked at. And the second, second obstacle that we looked at was mockery and sarcasm. Because these Sanballat and these buddies in verse number 2 says, what are those feeble Jews doing? How can they build this wall? And then the Tobiah said, what, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Do you recall that? So Satan frequently ridiculed against those who take a stand for the Lord. When you want to do the work of the Lord, when you take a stand, there will be people who will be around you who will want to ridicule you and call you by names. You are a holy Joe. And they'll be waiting to see that you fall into some kind of a sin so that they can say, I told you so. I told you so. So they keep mocking and ridiculing until you fall prey to their trap. 
So that's the second thing that we saw last time. The third thing that we saw there was, was threats and intimidation. Because they could not do anything because the Jews were building this wall with the approval of the king. Therefore, they cannot go and attack them, but they can threaten them. That's what we are seeing in verse number 8. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. When you take a stand for Christ, there will be people around you who can threaten you and intimidate you. They can say that if you don't go along with your boss's corruption, you can be fired from your company. Or they can say if you discipline your child you might lose your child to the legal system. Or they might say, if you want to stand firm with your Christian faith and, and in your paper you want to defend it, your professor will flunk you. So, in a personal level, the so-called peers and friends would blackmail you with your past even. I know your lifestyle in the past. So, threats and intimidation. And the fourth opposition that we looked at was discouragement and exhortation. We looked at last time in the verse number six, it says that the people had a mind to work. They were all together. They had the zeal to build this wall. But as we go down on verse number 10, it says the strength of the laborers is failing. And there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build a wall. Church, the same thing can happen to you in your walk with the Lord. When you first get, get to know the Lord, you are on fire for the Lord. You'll say, I'm going to win the world. Wherever you go, you go and speak about Christ. You're excited. And then you want to attend every Bible study. You want to listen to every sermon. You want to go for prayers. And I remember that when I first came to know the Lord, I, we had all-night prayers on Fridays, and I don't miss a single one of them. Because you have so much zeal and you want to be in the house of God with the people of God. But then down the line, as time goes on, the newness wears off. All of us, even though you might look so holy and blameless today in the, in your, in your, on your faces as I look from here, but I tell you this frankly, all of us, the newness wears off for us, isn't it? As time goes if we begin to notice the piles of rubble in our own lives, in the church, the problems, and, the, and they don't seem to go away, and we have been praying for some things, and prayers are not being answered, and then you get discouraged. You, it's an exhaustion. I'm trusting God. God is not coming through for me. And that's exactly what the children of Israel went through. And the last thing, last opposition was negativism. Now, as you studied, as you last time, those who are here, you would have noticed, the negativism did not come from the enemy. It came from the Jews themselves, but who were standing outside. It came from the spectators. And... These are people, that's very important for us to understand, these are people who are not involved in the work of the Lord. Those are people who are watching you. Negativism. So they were hearing negative reports and threats and didn't know firsthand what God was doing in Jerusalem. And we noticed that they repeatedly came to them. 
They will come up against you from all places. Negative thoughts. What can go wrong? That's what they talk about. They are the Debbie Downers. And we have them in our own lives in Christian walks. Negativism in the church comes from professing Christians who live near the enemy and are not involved in the Lord's work. Let me repeat that, please. Negativism comes from professing Christians who live near the enemy and are not involved in the Lord's work. When I was working in the secular world, when my staff come to me with a problem, I get so upset and angry. I'm telling you very frankly. And I would tell them, if you want to come to talk to me about your problem, I don't need you in your position. Everybody can see the problem. You had to come up with the solution. You are paid in your job to come up with solutions, not problems. But it's very good for people to always come and talk about problems. Problems. And even when the, when the spies were sent out to examine the promised land that God has promised to the children of Israel, ten of those fellows came back and said, uh-uh, we are not making it. There are annex. There are giants. We ain't making it. But two came and this, we are going to do it. I'm paraphrasing it. Why? Because the Bible said they had different spirit within them. The Holy Spirit was within them. Thank God that here we see that Nehemiah, if he had listened to these prophets, the wall would never have finished, isn't it? So we looked at these five oppositions. So now what you're going to learn today or look at the same chapter 4. How should we respond to such opposition? That's what we are going to examine today. Now, this is, this is applicable to every one of us. Whenever we encounter opposition, we have several options, church. Number one, we can run from it. Number two, we can try to dodge it. Number three, we can go around it. Number four, we can try to work out a compromise. Or number five, we could meet it head on and work through it. The last approach is usually the only biblical way to meet it head on and to approach it. So in this passage we are going to look at, there are four things that Nehemiah's, uh, we can learn from Nehemiah's chap Nehemiah chapter 4. There are four things that we can do to, to react and encounter the opposition. The first one, you can write it down if you are taking notes, they lifted their voices in prayer. They lifted their voices in prayer. That's the first point that I want you to get at. Because often when you face opposition church, the first response is for us to get angry and hit back or defend ourselves, isn't it? When you get upset. But our first response should always be prayer. Now you must be thinking, Pastor, you're always talking about prayer because that is what the book of Nehemiah is all about. Prayer, 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 everywhere. It's like the old MacDonald had a farm. Here's a chick, there's a chick, everywhere a chick, chick. Everywhere you turn on Nehemiah is prayer, prayer, prayer. That's the only term that you take. Prayer. 
See, verse number 9, he says, Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. That's what Nehemiah writes. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Now pay attention to this church. We're going to look at another prayer on the same, same chapter, verses 4 and 5. Look at this. Let's examine their prayer. It's a very interesting prayer. Hear our God, the same, same chapter, verse number 4 and 5. This is their prayer. Hear our, hear our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity or, and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Church prayer reminds us God is sovereign. Even over those who are attacking us, he has allowed this trial for a reason. In prayer, we submit our hearts to him and acknowledge our trust in him. Now, if you recall the story, or not, sorry, sorry is not the, not the word, history of King Jehoshaphat, when the enemies came about, he brought the people, even though he was a king, he declared a time of fasting and prayer to confront the enemies. So you may ask, wait a minute, pastor. Let's read this prayer for a minute. Now, this prayer doesn't seem to fit with what the Lord says, love your enemies and pray for those persecute you. Isn't it? Look at this prayer. Nehemiah's prayer. Should we pray as Nehemiah prayed? Let me explain to you. It's a very personal lesson to all of us. Firstly, this is not a prayer for personal vengeance. Everybody say the word vengeance. Because I wanted to get it very clearly. This is not a prayer for personal vengeance. But rather a prayer that God would act to judge sinners. Justice to be served. Since these enemies were hindering God's work, understand that. It was a prayer that God would judge those who oppose His kingdom and glory. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, we say, Thy kingdom come, isn't it? That's the prayer that we do every day. Let thy kingdom come. So, in other words, that particular prayer is implicitly or, ex or if not explicitly, to pray for all competing kingdoms to be destroyed. If you are praying, let thy kingdom come, what are you praying in essence? All competing kingdoms must be destroyed. Yes or no? That's exactly what it is. So as Christians, we should pray that God would destroy our enemies but our prayer should be by converting them. Because I don't want someone to perish because that person is causing me trouble. Because that's exactly what the Lord did as he was nailed on the cross. Father, forgive him, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Church, if somebody is coming against you, somebody is attacking you, somebody is causing you troubles, because they don't know what they are doing. So we, our prayer should be, God, please convert them. But it is up to God to decide what he wants to do. If he so chooses, he may, God may also destroy them by pouring out his wrath, which we are going to study next Sunday. 
and if they have not repented of their rebellion against him. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So church, our prayer is not to take revenge on our adversaries. Never go on your knees and pray that God remove this man or, or, or rebuke him and hit him. Or Do not do that. That is not the proper prayer of a believer. We need to guard our hearts against any selfish motives. The moment you bring about that, it's a, your, pray, your prayer is a selfish motive. I want to get even with my enemies. Or it's a personal delight in seeing somebody coming down in front of our eyes. If our hearts are right, we must pray that God would subdue the enemies of the cross, either by conversion or by his justice. That's his job. Not your job, not my job. So prayer should be our first response in opposition. My question to you, church, is, is are you praying for your oppressors? Are you praying? What type of prayer are you praying? God, hit them hard. God, bring about some kind of a sickness on them. That you are praying with wrong motive. So that's the first point that we realize. Let's learn this. Second thing that we learn here, if you look at verse number six, look at it on the screen, please. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its sides, for the people had a mind to work. They put their hearts into the work. They didn't allow the enemy's threat to get their focus onto other issues. They didn't abandon the work to chase down the enemies. They kept building the wall, and pretty soon the enemies who were able to see eye to eye, watch this very carefully, please, because the walls are not there. Now, as the walls came up, they have to look up now. Wow. Because they kept, they put their hearts into work. There are times when it's necessary, church, please listen carefully, to refute false teachers and defend sound doctrine. In fact, that is one of the tasks of the elders, as you read through the book of Titus and Timothy, you see that. But we should never get distracted by fighting false teachers. And we forget our main purpose, which is to proclaim the gospel, both here and around the world through missions, calling in our lives. In every trial and temptation, make sure that we remain faithful. Everybody say the word faithful. Faithful. You examine your hearts, examine your motive, examine your thoughts, examine your vision. If you are faithful, the battle becomes his, not yours. Look at this passage. In 2 Chronicles, again, King Jehoshaphat time, we find that Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. This is the Spirit of the Lord speaking to Jehoshaphat and the others through one prophet called Jehaziel. And he said this, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Trust me, church, it took me a long time in my spiritual walk to come to this sense of maturity. 
And I am not afraid of enemies or people who may want to cause issues and problems. You know why? Because I trust in this. Thus says the Lord. Do not be afraid or nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Church, while we are trusting God, we need to continue to engage ourselves in the work. In gardening, now, during the summertime, I know that all of you had to do. My wife loves gardening. She spends a lot of time. I have to go out of self-guilt. Not because I love gardening, trust me. I go there because otherwise I don't look like a faithful husband. So in gardening, I know that you need two things. You need the scythe or the clipper and the trowel. They are both are necessary. The scythe or the clipper to cut down the shrubs and the bushes, isn't it? And the trowel to dig in to plant the seed. But the reason for the scythe or the clipper is so that we can use the trowel. We can put the seed, plant the seeds. We defend the faith with the sword, of, God, sword of, of God's word so that we can build his kingdom with the trowel. Understand that. To get sidetracked onto defending the faith, to neglect the winning and building people is to forget our goal. We ought to put our heart into work by planting seeds into people's life. That has been the Great Commission. Go. Go, go. Preach the word. So that is, the, that is the second thing that we see as a response. And the third thing that we are seeing here, look at this, is we find in verse number 13, Therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the, at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Now, while they were doing their work, look at this passage, the lesson that we learn here, they kept their eyes on the enemy in vigilance. They were alert. They are not naive. Now, I am, trust me, my wife always tells me I'm very naive. But we cannot be like that as believers. We have to be alert. While we are going to be engaged in the work of the Lord, we must be vigilant. Nehemiah's prayer, please understand, did not make the enemy go away, isn't it? He didn't go make the... Prayer isn't a magic cure-all. Prayer doesn't mean that you can ignore the enemy's threat or pretend that they don't exist. Nehemiah was vigilant to arm the workers and post guards around the clock. And he put into place a warning system, the Bible says. Look at verse number 20. So that wherever the trumpet was blown, the workers would quickly rally to defend their family and city. He was alert. Vigilance. Looking at the enemies. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us. Our God will fight for us. He's not going to fight. He's pretty convinced that the God is going to fight, but let us be alert. The workers didn't, their, didn't take their clothes off. Look at this, verse number 23. 
So neither I, my brother, and my servants, nor men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. The workers didn't take off their clothes at night so they could be ready to defend the city. Vigilance. Now let me put it this way, church. If all of a sudden we are seated here and we are nicely enjoying each other's company in the, uh, and the presence of the Lord, and all of a sudden we hear a news here, there is a bear on the driveway. So let me ask a question that if you know that, and at the end of the survey, would you stroll out to your car in a normal fashion? Would you let your kids run loose outside? Of course you won't. You would arm yourself and be on guard constantly for fear of that bear on the loose, isn't it? Yet many Christians are ignorant to the dangers that come from our adversary, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's what the Bible says. They go out into the world without putting on the full armor of God. They hang out with worldly friends and fill their minds with the things of the devil. Please take this seriously. They hang out with worldly friends and fill their minds with the things of the devil. They let their kids watch the trash on TV. And after the kids are in bed, the parents tune in uh, the shows for mature audiences and mature in evil, but not in godliness. And then they wonder why they have family problems. If you don't want to fall victim to the enemy, you have got to set up a defense against him in advance. We had to block the opportunities for moral filth from your life and home, church. Spend each time, each day, saturating your mind, saturating your mind with God's word. Avoid all appearances of evil. That's what Paul says. Do not try to justify your behavior. If there is an element of doubt, don't do it. Don't do it. Have a network of brothers and sisters in the Lord whom you can rely to when the enemy attacks. To be ignorant to the enemy is to be vulnerable. Church is a very powerful lesson. We should be aware of our weaknesses. And when we know our weaknesses, and if we know what is causing our weaknesses, we should be quick to make a radical surgery. Chop it off. Chop it off. We must pray that God would perform a radical surgery to remove all that is causing you to stumble. It may be your workplace that is causing you to stumble. It may be a group of friends that is causing you to stumble. It may be the environment that you are in is causing you to stumble. You may not have the, have the guts and the courage to go and confront it directly. Pray to God and say, God, I want you to perform a radical surgery by moving me away from this. And God will. 
God will. He had done it to me, church. He will. The problem is that we don't want to make that prayer. We don't want to make that prayer. I want you to know this one thing, church. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. So we looked at three things. First thing is to lifting our voices in prayer. Second thing is putting your hearts into work. A third thing is vigilantly keeping their eyes on the enemy. And finally, we are looking at verse number 14. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. They kept their minds focused on the Lord. Nehemiah reminded them over and over again who their God was. The people were discouraged and, and they have gotten their focus onto the enemy threat and the piles of rubble in front of them. There's a lot of work to be done. They were discouraged. Nehemiah rightly directed their focus back to the Lord. And this God is great and awesome and is capable of doing anything and everything he pleases. So when opposition hits, it's easy to get our focus off the Lord and onto your problems. Many times we do that. We panic. And we cry out for help. Looking for worldly solutions to our problems. At this time, as such, we should be able to keep our minds on things above, not on the things that are on earth. Because human ability to resolve your problems are very limited, church. But we have a sovereign God who is able to resolve our issues. I remember I was very new to Canada, but this happened about 30 plus years ago, and I, there was a day that I was traveling to Ottawa on business. And as I was leaving, I had to clear my bags, and I didn't need any passports or documents like that, which I had in my briefcase. I took all the documents and everything, and the passport, and, and like a, I don't know, like a fool, I just tied it on with, in, a, in a bag, like a Walmart bag or something like that, and left it on my desk, and I have flown to Ottawa for three days. I came back and I completely forgot what I left, and my, God bless her, my loving wife, she thought that was trash. Went down the chute, it was gone. Now I'm back, I'm, I'm, I'm here in, 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 in Dundas, in the center of the universe, I'm, I, I need to make a journey to England, I need to travel, and I need to, I need to get the passport, and I need to get the documents, and, and I was new in Canada. I, 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 was, I had the landed papers. I didn't have the Canadian passport yet. It was very new. I had to go and see my mom in England. I looked at the problem. I almost collapsed, I must tell you. Everything. There is no proof that I was married to her. My marriage certificate is gone. My birth certificate, everything is gone. At a time like this, but I was very much on fire for the Lord, trust me. All I did was, I couldn't pray. How do you pray in a situation like this? 
I phoned my dear friend, who is very near and dear to me, a dear brother in Christ, and I called him, and this is what I told him. I said, brother, I am in this difficult situation, and I know that the solution comes from the Lord, not from you. But I cannot pray right now because I am so emotionally disturbed. And I don't see a pathway, a clear pathway through this crisis. But I know my God knows it. Would you pray for me? So we're on our knees and we are praying. To make the long story short, church, within two weeks of that day, I was, we were called for the Canadian citizenship exams. We, we got our citizenship papers. And then we had this ceremony where the citizenship papers were given to us. I was able to get a Canadian passport and was able to travel on the day that I really wanted. Church, it's not the people around me help me. Our eyes must be focused on the Lord. You know the sad thing is, church, we experience that in our lives. Next time a crisis comes, we forget these things. We forget who our God has been in the past. We need to remind ourselves repeatedly who our God is. That's what David said, isn't it? When he came and when he, when he saw his brothers and King Saul struggling to compete or fight with this Goliath, and David said, I can get this guy down. King Saul said, are you crazy? You little brat, what can you do? You know what he said? The Lord who redeemed me from the paws of the lion and the paws of the bear will redeem me from the hands of the Philistine. Now church, being sinful as we are, John Piper puts it this way, and I want you to get this. The life of this world is not a lake. It is a river. And he says it is flowing downward to destruction. If you do not listen earnestly to Jesus and consider him daily and fix your eyes on him hourly, then you will not stand still. You will go backward. You will float away from Christ. Drifting is a deadly thing in Christian life. And the remedy for it, church, for all of us, is constantly keep our minds focused on the Lord. And here's the passage of Scripture that John Piper is referring to. I'm sorry, this one. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Close attention to what we have heard. That is, consider what God is saying in His Son, Jesus. Fix your eyes on what God is saying and doing in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Here's a powerful statement about sin, church. It is not a hard swimming stroke that we need to earn or learn. The only thing that, ha that, that happens from swimming against the sinful culture, Piper says this way, 
to swim against the sinful culture which we all possess is not the difficulty of the stroke, but our sinful desire to go with the flow. I love it. It's not the difficulty of the stroke. If you trust God, you will overcome it. But our sinful desire to go with the flow. Now, those who have been journeying with me for 30 years, you know how much I loved jam. You know that. I love to eat jam. I'll eat bottles of jam by myself. And you know what? I knew, I knew when I was, as I was growing up, it was a bad thing to do. I know that I can overcome that difficulty, but the problem is the sinful desire to go with the flow. Church, I'm ashamed to tell you at lunchtime, I, I stayed only about five minutes from my home. I have my bite, I get into my car, go to the house to have two scoops of jam. Now I'm paying the price for it. Let's not go into the detail, but I'm paying, big price, trust me. Every morning I'm poking and, and seeing what's happening to me. It is not the difficulty of the stroke. If we can truly trust God and keep our minds focused on the Lord, we can overcome it. But the problem is our sinful desire to go with the flow. That's what, that's what the John Piper says. So as I close this, no matter what you might, you will have a God-given vision in your life, in your own personal. I ask you to write that personal vision statement. When you want to live a godly life and want to accomplish anything for the Lord, you will experience opposition. Especially if you are in leadership, there will be people who are around you will be angry, they will they'll have mockery and sarcasm, there will be threats and intimidation and discouragement and exhortation and negativism from people around you. But the response that Nehemiah gave here is with prayer, isn't it? That's the first thing we learned. Let me bring it up on the screen as I conclude this. Lift your voices in prayer. We ought to pray. With the right motive. And secondly, we must put our hearts into work. If God has called us to do something, be faithful in doing it. I love, honestly, I must take a moment to salute all my young people here. You guys are wonderful. I don't need to tell you anything. I love you guys. You come so early, and you know what I tell you? I'm glad that you, 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 you have caught the vision at this early young age. God will bless you for that. I know that you guys come here. To come here at 7.30, you leave home at 6.37. You know what? You don't need to prove any point to me. The Lord sees it. Pour your hearts onto the work. Be faithful to that calling. And God will definitely bless you. Keep your eyes at the same time on the enemies around you. Enemies around you. And keep your minds focused on the Lord in faith. Vengeance is mine. The battle belongs to Him. We will be overcomers. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. Why don't you rise and let me pray. Ask, ask the worship team to come and let me pray together and then I'll hand over to the worship team.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to come go through the Word of God and to see the oppositions that the children of God experienced when they wanted to fulfill the God-given vision. And the way that you were able to equip them, empower them, and engage them in, in tactics and techniques that they are able to overcome it. And I pray, O oh God, in Jesus' name, that as we close this message today, that we will be as children of God, we will be lifting our voices in prayer, a prayer that will be for your name to be glorified, not out of any hidden personal motives or, or any vengeance. Help us, O oh God, to put our whole heart to work and to be faithful to our calling. Help us, O oh God, to keep our eyes on the enemy, be aware of it, and to do the radical surgery that needed to be done in our own lives. If it means that we have to sever relationships, let's do it. If it means that we have to chop off something in our lives, help us to do it, O oh God. And But most importantly, I pray that our minds will be focused on the Lord in faith, knowing who you are. You are sovereign. So I commit every one of us into your precious hands. Be with us, Master. Help us to leave this place knowing that the battle belongs to you. The victory is yours. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen.